0: what's up movie friends welcome back to raiders of the lost podcast i'm anthony and i'm james and this is episode 31 and we're gonna take a break from the horror episodes we've been doing from october we want to give you guys a little rest from all the scary stuff we need a breather and we're gonna do something fun john wick the trilogy so far John Wick is a modern action franchise that was a lifelong passion project from director Chad Stahelski and writer Derek Colsted. The first film was also co-directed by David Leitch, who went uncredited on the, on the movie, and who's also a longtime stuntman and stunt coordinator, as well as known for directing Deadpool 2. And actually, Chad Stahelski was um, Keanu Reeves' stunt double on the Matrix films. Leach was also a stuntman on the Matrix movies And he also directed Hobbs and Shaw So he's become uh, a big uh, force in action movies nowadays as well The reason why he didn't get directing credit Was some weird formality with the DGA So they wouldn't allow two people to be credited as director So he took a sole producing role as credit instead It's just like the stigma against stuntmen, man. I mean, why can Joel and Ethan Cohen be co-directors, but these two can't? I don't know. It makes no sense. I think it's just, again, there's a stigma against stunt people in Hollywood, but it's great to see them branching out And some of them making amazing movies and being directors and writers and producers of movies instead of just stunt coordinators because Mm -hmm. they're very talented people. They're incredibly essential to films like The Matrix, any action movie really. And they're truly unsung heroes for a lot of films, especially like a filmmaker like Chris Nolan relies heavily on the stunt work in his films because everything's in camera. So. People like this who have always worked on film sets are beginning to get recognition and obviously better better jobs as directors. Yeah, and they do a great job with these movies. And the franchise follows an ex-hitman's return to the mysterious criminal underworld he swore he left for good. John Wick is famously played by the incomparable Keanu Reeves. Oh, man, I love him. And at least five movies are planned. Three are finished, obviously. And this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, MoviePosters.com. Use coupon code Raiders15, all caps, to get 15% off your order. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Manscaped to get 20% off your order and free shipping using coupon code Raiders of the at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost checkout for 20% off in free shipping from Manscaped.com. We're getting our sponsors in, and MoviePosters is a new sponsor. It's very relevant to this topic of our show, so we're really excited about that sponsor. Yeah, looking forward to getting posters from them. Two great brands. Check them out, guys. Before we get started, if you like our podcast and our show, the best thing you can do is subscribe to us on YouTube or any of the audio streaming apps. Share us with your movie friends. We know you got some movie friends out there. Let them know there's a great show for them to check out. Leaving those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, specifically is the only place you can do it, really helps us get seen by new potential viewers and listeners. So please, the written reviews are amazing, but at least the five-star reviews really, really do help. We also have a Patreon right now, so you can help support us monthly on Patreon. Patrons get unique perks like specialized videos sent to them and behind-the-scenes footage as well as Shoutouts on monthly episodes of the podcast And before we begin, just to warn you, spoilers are a bound. Now let's get started with John Wick I absolutely adore the John Wick movies And they've pulled off the rare feat where each one gets better than the previous ones And the third one is my favorite But John Wick brings about this classic kind of action revenge flick That we used to see a lot in the 80s and 90s but then in the, like the late 2000s, mid-2000s, because of things like Born and more realistic, gritty action, we kind of lost that one-man army taking on an endless spree of henchmen. And things got a little too realistic. And with John Wick, it brought back that fun, escapist, Brutal action that we used to see when we were younger. Yeah, it made the one-man or one-woman army cool again. It like modernized it with the aesthetic and the cinematography and amazing action sequences. And this film franchise, without a doubt, rebooted Keanu Reeves' career. I know we talked about this previously on an episode. Keanu Reeves' career was definitely on a downwards trajectory. So a lot of stars, once they start aging, depending on the performance of their movies, if they're having a lot of bombs or critical perception... And audience acclaim, they can stop getting phone calls, stop getting major productions. And in 2008, Keanu Reeves did After the Day Stood Still, which was a huge production, massive budget. But it it made money, but it was critically destroyed. This movie was pretty bad. It sucked. (laughs) To put it frankly, yeah, it was pretty fucking terrible. And he didn't really get any big major production roles until 2013 with 47 Ronin. Which bombed on a huge budget. That movie lost um two hundred million dollars for the production company. Lost and, lost two hundred million. Yeah. So that was a bomb. And before that he was doing movies that bombed like Henry's Crime, Generation Um, The Man of Tai Chi. No one saw these movies. They didn't they did not do very well. And it seems again it seemed again like Keanu's trajectory was going down. And like let's go back to like before two thousand fourteen, before John Wick, the perception of Keanu was we've always loved Keanu, but a lot of people have been bashing on him. They've been, you know They've been passing those sad Keanu memes. I've seen those a million times. People have been making fun of his acting, saying how bad he was. Yeah, I remember people said that he was perfectly cast in the day the Earth stood still because he had to play a robot. And so people just constantly um, destroyed his his talents, and he had lost his relevancy within the public. And then John Wick, he got in 2014, after 47 Ronan loses $200 million, 2014 John Wick lights an absolute fire under this guy's career, and look at his IMDb page. Look at what he's built, doing right now. He's got the Matrix 4 is rebooted, John Wick five films. None of this would have been possible without John Wick One. I'm sure they would not even be do, thinking of doing a new Matrix movie. They did a Bill and Ted uh, sequel because of how popular he is now. And again, they would never have made a Bill and Ted third one. Absolutely not. So again, we've always loved Keanu. I know a lot of you have always loved Keanu, but let's try to put yourself in the shoes of 2012, 2013, where he was going down yeah and i totally agree and it was unfair it was just that he had some some movies they just don't make money and people don't like them as the way it is but john wick solidified keanu's status as one of the greatest action icons in film history because keanu has been in some of the greatest action movies ever we're talking point break the matrix speed john wick series it's just Constantine, I guess, could be an action movie. which I'd say it's I, a, kind of an action very movie. Very yeah. underrated movie that's fantastic. He has just been crushing action in his career – and it's, he's, his movies are going to stand the test of time in that, in that genre. And if you think about it, he's, he's really pretty much ahead of most other action stars who have spent their entire career as action stars. Obviously, he's done plenty of dramas and comedies and stuff. But when you spend your entire career doing actions, and he's almost 60, and he's still doing it. And yes, Liam Neeson's old as hell, and he's, he's still doing action movies. But Liam Neeson didn't really start doing action movies until like Batman Begins in the early 2000s, really. Yeah. And that's kind of like where his new identity has become. But Keanu's been doing it his whole life, and look at other action stars who flamed out, like Bruce Willis, Christian Slater, like um, Arnold Sly, even like yeah, they're still making movies, but they're not making big box office, massive, massively popular movies. Yeah, I mean, the last Terminator movie made less than two hundred. I think it made two hundred million dollars on a two hundred fifty million dollar budget. So Arnold has lost his appeal. Sly has lost his appeal outside of the Creed franchise, and. I mean, Keanu is one of the last action stars to still be doing it to great effect. I mean, his last, the last John Wick made uh, over three hundred million dollars. These movies keep getting exponentially more popular. So, and I can only imagine. I think um, the fourth chapter will probably make five hundred million easy. John Wick just revitalized Keanu's career, gave him breathed new life into a career that he deserved to keep extending in terms of seeing us him in. Huge popular movies because Keanu is the freaking man. Everybody loves this guy now. And obviously, we've always loved him, but I love Keanu. I adore that, man. And there's just something cool about watching Keanu fire guns and fight people. I mean— And wear a suit. Yeah, that the guy just, was born to wear a suit on camera. Just watching Keanu fight people is just—I mean— I can't, there's so, he's just suited to it. You know what I mean? It's, I enjoy watching him do it more than anyone else. He's great at it because he's been training, obviously, basically as a stunt person himself for the last 20 years. Yeah. And I would not want to get in a fight with that man. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, why do audiences love John Wick so much? Again, we're talking about how it modernized the one man, one woman army. And for action movie lovers, John Wick is a breath of fresh air because the action scenes are incredibly unique in their precise. Um, we're not getting like those shaky cam uh, fight scenes that we get with like a lot of the Bourne movies, which I love the Bourne movies, but those action fight scenes, they're obviously trying to mask the blocking and maybe slow fighting combat. They mask stunt doubles and body doubles. Yeah, and so they're shaking the camera like crazy. So you can't really exactly see what's going on, but in John Wick, we're getting a lot of wide shots. We're getting a lot of long takes of clearly extremely choreographed sequences of long take action exactly and the reason why other action films are filmed with such tight shots they're often close-ups and they're super cuts so quickly together you you can barely keep up with what's going on is because oftentimes they come up with a choreography um, on set that morning or they haven't really worked on it too much like the actors know the choreography of the fight but they can't do it in one take and so they instead they just film beat by beat by beat Take by take of these little tiny increments And so also especially for The fact that many of the moves The actors can't do themselves so they'll throw a stunt double In there and so by cutting it quickly And doing tight close ups you can't see The the um, the masking of The illusion of the fight Whereas with John Wick they went the opposite way Where they had Keanu and the other Actors in, in, the, other, in the films as well Train extensively for months For these fights specifically so that when the day came to shoot the each fight scene, they could film Keanu and these stunt men and, and stunt women, fight doing the choreography for these fights in long wide angle takes. And the difference maker that this does is not only is the action better, but you can see Keanu's face in every fight. You see his face in the action. It's not someone with the back of their head or quick cut. We see him doing it, then we believe that John Wick is capable of doing this. Exactly. The training of the actors speaks volumes in these films. Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry, Ruby Rose, Common, plus other actors, they all went through intense training to turn them into highly proficient combat, hand-to-hand combat, and firearm operators. And director uh, Stileski is quoted saying, the best way to fake being good is just to be good. And and Keanu, Halle, Ruby Rose, Common, they're all, you can clearly tell they're competent with firearms. They're competent with hand-to-hand combat because they put so many hours into training. And the only way to be good at firearms training, the only way to be good at hand-to-hand combat is to practice it for hours and hours and hours. You can easily tell by like their reload speeds, how how perfect and, and precise their technique and form is, the confidence wielding the weapons. And these are only things you can get from real training. Shooting real bullets, shooting real rounds at real targets. That's the only way to get this skilled. And I think the shooting especially is more realistic than any other movie I've seen is because they... Commit themselves to the realistic rule that each gun only has a certain amount of bullets in each clip, and so oftentimes John is constantly reloading, getting new guns, running out of bullets, running out of ammo, and there's even a a a particular gun that he likes to use that is um, synonymous with uh, um, jamming often. And so if you watch the movie, every time he uses his gun and reloads it, he actually checks to see if it's uh, jammed or not before he starts using it every single time he does this. And so the attention to detail with the filmmakers where you're not watching a movie where some, some, this guy has a handgun and he's firing 40 rounds off without reloading it and it just makes no sense. They limit themselves to the rules of reality, which brings us into the scene even more so. And the John Wick franchise offers us so much unique action, like Keanu Reeves driving a car doing a 180 while shooting a gun outside of the window in a single take of a shot. I mean, him riding a horse in New York City, (laughs) which I think obviously was green screen and they had a fake horse for going through the street and everything. But still it's unique things we've never seen before. And like there's so many great action fights where he like you said, he's running out of bullets, so he has to combine uh, close hand-to-hand combat with close gunfighting at the same time. It's kind of like Equilibrium with Christian Bale, mm. except bringing more realism to that. And yeah. I just love every single fight scene in this franchise. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And then I think um, probably my next favorite part about the John Wick world is the, the unique world that they created in this franchise of this entire underground society of assassins and criminals that normal people are, are unawares of. And they have this entire community across the entire globe and it's just a fascinating introduction to this cool, unique world that they did in the first one. It's so fun to think that all of these assassins in the world belong to this society where there are very strict rules and consequences if you step out of line at all. And there are certain safeguards put in place, like the continental hotels across the, the world are all safe havens where no business can be done on continental grounds, Where meaning that you can't kill anyone or carry out any business when you're inside of a Continental, which ends up being uh, a big service and aid to John and other assassins throughout their the films. And also the idea that everything's purchased by these special gold coins, and there's no other monetary system within the society. And with each film, we learn more and more about this underground world, and I can't wait to see even more so in the fourth one, because the first one, they just teased it, and then just kept, they kept building on it by the second and third one to great effect. The world building in this is really fascinating because you see things you never seen before, especially like those like retro like 50s dressed and styled women who are kind of like the the communications operators for like this underworld society and just like the underground world again, there's something about these secret societies which you kind of saw like in Constantine. And some other sci-fi films, but like we're really going in depth on this, and you can tell that the filmmakers and screenwriters are just kind of exploring any avenue they want with it because it's really fun and interesting. And you, we've seen it try to get copied a few times since, like that movie that um Jodie Foster did. Oh, the Hotel the Artemis, Artemis. Artemis. Yeah. So, so Hotel Artemis. Is oh yeah, you're right. Kinda, just yeah. I saw a trailer. For, I didn't even see the movie, but yeah. I saw the trailer. I'm like, that's exactly. The continental. And they like even lit it the same way. Sounds like, that literally looks like John Wick. Yeah. So it's obviously something that people are trying to explore, but you can tell this is something that a lot of film franchises have been trying to like get at. They're trying to find this like way to build a world that's super unique and relatable and fun at the same time, and they did it in John Wick. Yeah. And the thing with the uh, this world is, it feels like it's this extremely old traditional. Community that's been around for ages, you know could, what I mean? Yeah, could be around for millennia, and it's been it's, it has adapted to modern society. But even so, they still use a lot of analog format, just like like those suicide girl type people um, who dull out, who announce any kind of new contracts are so using like analog um, technology and stamps on files, so they keep the technology outdated. I think as a way of keeping it from being traced, probably they don't explain it, but that's my guess. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I feel that it feels like this world is ancient and old, and it it's kind of like being part of this like secret order of like samurai or or like knights you the know what i mean assassins like yeah. assassins creed yeah exactly. yeah like assassins world. creed yeah and john wick the whole franchise it's brutal it's highly stylized it's also just like a really good time and it's with timely humor and and all this complements is complemented with intense action and even the posters are incredibly artistic for this movie i love the movie posters for this film they they do a great job setting the tones and moods for each of the individual films. And the lighting, the aesthetic, the cinematography, the neon lights, it's almost like a Nicholas-winning Refn movie at times. They did a phenomenal job. And again, back to why is the action so good? Why is the choreographing so so well done? It's because we have stunt people who wrote and directed the movie. Yeah. They, these are the people that know better than anyone how to film this stuff. Like, we're talking about the guy who was a stunt coordinator on the Matrix movies, which are some of the best which has have some of the best stunt work ever. And he's in charge of the production, so obviously he's gonna care about that attention to detail and it really shows in the in the filmmaking. And another thing I love about John Wick movies is they show pain. You know, John isn't impenetrable. He takes a lot of beatings, he takes a lot of damage, he suffers significant wounds in multiple of the of the films and consistently needs legit, serious medical attention or else he's going to die multiple times throughout the franchise, which raised the stakes, obviously, of the character. You know, a lot of action heroes of the past and even of modern times seem invulnerable. I mean, how many times have you seen an action star kill 100 people and they walk away without a limp? Like, are you telling me Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't even at least pull a hammy in Commando? No, he was fine at the end of it. Like, not even a scratch he's on his just, body. He was carrying his daughter. He didn't have a scratch on him. So they really raise the stakes in the films by putting John Wick in actual danger. He's actually getting messed up in these movies, actual ta- actually taking a pounding, mm. getting stabbed multiple times, getting shot, stabbing himself with another guy's <laughs> knife, falling off a roof like five stories onto the ground. It's insane, the beatings he takes, but again, it brings that realism kind of to it, yeah. but also we're, we're not making our hero completely invulnerable. Oftentimes in, in this film... His uh his assailants and the people he's fighting are often masked. They're wearing like hoods or SWAT gear or something. Do you know why that is? No. So the reason why oftentimes not every time, but most of the time the people he's fighting and killing, you can't see their faces is because it's always the same stunt team working with him. Yeah, that makes scene sense. Scene after scene. So so Keanu Reeves is actually fighting and shooting the same group of guys over and over again and by covering their faces. You never recognize any of them, so they're able to work on each scene. It's, it's just like one group of stunt guys, and so it's a pretty fascinating look into the into the world of stunt work. If you if you think about how they how they do it, because he's not killing like 80 actors, he's killing like the same like 10 stunt guys. Yeah, and to even play off that for this for these films, they, the filmmakers did an incredibly smart thing where they. They have the stunt team Obviously the stunt coordinator But also the stunt team from the Matrix films So these are guys and women who know Keanu Reeves Better than Keanu Reeves They know how he fights They know how he, how he likes to fall They know his strengths They know his weaknesses they know, his, they know what he can't do What he can do So that obviously I'm sure Really helps out the stunt, team, the stunt work And the blocking and the fighting In every single one of these sequences Now before we get into the films I just want to talk about Why we love Keanu so much And to me, I've seen a lot of interviews with him. I've seen a lot of stories about him, watched a ton of stuff. He seems like the most genuine guy in Hollywood. He Seems like such a ridiculously nice guy. Um, he gives away absurd amounts of his salaries he's given away like I think he gave away a third of his matrix salaries because he was making a lot for those movies he gave uh, uh, 18 million dollars to the people who made the special effects for the Matrix movies yeah so he because gave, he felt like they weren't properly paid yeah and hair and makeup and everything so he yeah. gave money back to the people in the crews um, he's has multiple charities he has cancer charity children's charities um, he's dealt with tremendous trauma in his real life. But he still treats all his fans with as much respect and admiration that they have for him. And um, every time Keanu takes a photo with a a woman, he always keeps his hand from touching her waist. And so there are like dozens of photos where he's taking a photo and then you can see his hand just like outstretched behind their hip, but it's not touching them. Very smart and respectful (laughs) guy. And uh, Keanu also has a high-end motorcycle company, which is really cool because he's an avid motorcycle rider. And I think it's called Arch. Yeah. I think every film he's in, he has to sign a waiver about saying that he can't ride motorcycles, but he still does on the side anyway, secretly, or he's done that <laughs> in multiple films. <laughs> and I think the fact that you talked about Bill and Ted earlier, how like no one else would have made that if, if, if John Wick wasn't so popular, but I don't think any actor would have made that except for Keanu Reeves. I mean, it speaks volumes to the character of the kind of person he is because you're talking about, yeah, Bill and Ted was a massive success a long time ago for him. and got him his break, but Keanu Reeves is one of the biggest stars on the planet. So, so this franchise is asking this incredibly popular and successful actor to do a new sequel to a movie with an actor who most people don't even know his name anymore, and do a random sequel for it, just kind of for fun. And if they, if Keanu doesn't sign on, they're not going to do it. Like, what other A-list mega star would do that besides Keanu? I feel like so many. I think every actor would be like, that would hurt my brand if I did that movie. Exactly. You know what I mean? So like, he. And I'm sure he didn't even hesitate to do it, and I'm sure he tried to get it made for, for years. He has been trying to get made, so that just shows me, like, Keanu just really cares about film, and cares about his the relationships he's made in his career, and he just cares about providing um, great movies for his fans. Yeah, he's a great guy. Before we get into the films, this episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by our friends at MoviePosters.com. Use coupon code RAIDERS15, all caps, for 15% off your order. Again, RAIDERS15 for 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com are the number one site to get your movie posters today. They have been for years. They've been really great to work with. Um, They love movies just as much as Anthony and I, and they'll be sponsoring our um, new movie poster giveaways, which we'll still be doing every month. And so they'll be sponsoring each one of those giveaways. They offer great options of original designs, framing, backlight, canvas, even plaque designs. Again, use coupon code RAIDERS15 for 15% off your order at movieposters.com. Let's begin with John Wick, which came out in 2014, directed by Chad Stahelski and David Leitch, written by Derek Kolstad. John Wick follows an ex-hitman who comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. This film was made with a $20 million budget and had a box office of $86 million. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 87%. I don't think anyone really knew what to expect from this movie. I mean, it was, kind of, it was a good trailer and Keanu was in it, but again, Keanu had begun to taper off. And I think this film really was a jolt to everyone when they saw it because it was so unexpectedly good and fantastic. I agree because I think expectations were really low on this film. Directors, writers were both ones no one had ever heard of. Yeah, Keanu, again, attached to star and the trailer looked great. But still, Keanu's career was going downhill at the time. But man, when we saw this in theaters, I was absolutely blown away. Because, again, we've always loved Keanu. And as soon as we saw we the were trailers, there. Keanu just... Again, violent movies. If you don't like violent movies, you don't have to watch violent movies. But John Wick... Did violence in an incredibly artistic and unique way, which is what sets it apart and which was why everyone loves it so much. But they did something really special with John Wick that we'd never seen before. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the budget, this was what, a $20 million budget? It was tiny. And so I'm sure Keanu has made that much for movies just for his salary. So this was like a tiny movie compared to the stuff he's worked on in the past. So I think... Um, The the studio itself didn't even give it that much money or confidence. They just gave it like 20 mil, see what happens with it. And then it blew up. And the thing with John Wick is the action's great, but you love the character. And especially um, with how they set up the character in this world where you really empathize with this man and what he's going through. Exactly. John Wick doesn't pick up a gun until the 29-minute mark in this movie, which is absurd. But also shows the testament to the story and character development that the screenwriter and directors really felt was crucial and, again, are what makes these films so engaging and so fun to watch. And the filmmakers wanted us to go through the pain that John Wick goes through, and they wanted us to want to avenge the death of the dog, avenge the death of his wife for not letting him grieve. And you really, really do connect with the characters. I think that was a risk for the film because... I think people were walking into this movie expecting action right from the get-go. Like, that's what happens in the second and third one. But in the first one, we're 30 minutes in before action starts. And so I think it was a, a, a courageous thing for the filmmakers to be like, we want to set up this character and show you what he's been through and set up the emotional stakes before we set up the actual stakes of the film. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of really smart editing. It's not that there's no action. Obviously, obviously there's some action like when he gets attacked in the house and everything. The scene's driving the 1969 Ford Mustang Boss 429, which is actually really a Ford Mustang Mach 1. And, you know, him driving just that Mustang in circles, that's, that's like pretty much all the action we see. Mm-hmm. But also, the editing in this film is phenomenal because... They do a great job cutting from scenes that don't need more storytelling than they already do. Like, for example, when he finds the, wakes up and finds the dog, there's a quick shot of him burying the dog, and then boom, cut, then boom, cut. So they do a good job keeping you in with the pace, as well as the first act, again, is also building the world of these secretive characters and also building the world and legend of John Wick, which we're hearing about slowly, bit by bit, what he can actually do with like these boogeyman stories, because even though he gets his ass kicked by Yosef uh, and his little crew of cronies, we don't realize what he can do yet. Because in that scene when he gets beat up in his house, he's obviously concussed with a su- surprise attack, so he can't yeah. really move or anything, and he's obviously fuzzy and can't really see because it's blurred vision. But they have no idea what they're doing, who they're doing this to, because John Wick is the boogeyman. What ha- what happened was by killing the dog, they killed the the last connection he had to his wife. And also, the wife gave him the dog as a gift for him to be able to... So, so that he could not go through the mourning process alone and by himself. So he had something to, someone to mourn with. So he had the puppy as a way to grieve for his wife um, with company. And so when they took that from him, that's what sets him loose. And so it's not just a dog. It's more than that. It has deep, I- impersonal, emotional meaning to John. And then, like you said we learn about the myth of John which is why I think this movie works so well is because the first the first act we don't even I mean we know from the trailer he can fuck people up but we don't even know much about John other than his wife died but then slowly we learn just from other characters reactions like when when Ariel learns that Yosef took John's car he punches him in the face and we're like why did why do you do that why do you react that way and then when Ariel tells Yosef's um, father Vigo, the crime boss, that Yosef stole John's John Wick's car and killed his dog. Then Vigo uh, like immediately forgives Ariel for punching his son, and then he has that threatening talk with his with his son Yosef. And we're like, who the hell is John Wick to get these kinds of reactions from these gangsters? Yeah, and then Vigo tells that slow, steady, fairy tale like killing story about who John Wick really is, and at the same time. We're learning from John, who he is, too, a little bit, because this is when, when he starts telling the story, it, it cuts to John Wick at the top of his basement stairs with a sledgehammer, and then he's just smashing the cement floor, and then he pulls out this box... And the interesting thing about the box, you think it's just going to be guns and ammo, which it is. But also, he has as much guns and ammo as he has these gold coins, which now we're about to learn, what are these gold coins? What do they mean? What are they worth? What's the value of them? Are they just worth their weight in gold, or is there something more significant to it? And this is the world of that underground society which we're about to enter. So again, taking those cliches of like a, a killer or assassin who gave up on his ways and is trying to live a clean, normal life... And just bringing something new and breathing a fresh air, breath of fresh air into it with something unique. And so this leads to the first moment where we finally see what John Wick is capable of when Vigo sends that crew, crew of henchmen to John's house. And we get the first taste of the John Wick action scenes where it's this great combination of hand-to-hand combat along with incredible firearm shooting. And we are... Inundated with with kills by John Wick, and it is incredible to see. I think my favorite thing about the John Wick fights, obviously, the the close quarters gunfighting is really cool and unique to see. Again, it's kind of like if you've ever seen that movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale. It's sort of like that, but again, something that. I really love is they bring so much jujitsu into this film, which should be in a lot more movies, because jujitsu, if you're in close-quarters combat, is going to be your bread and butter in a fight. If you've ever done jujitsu, if you know anything about it, that is how you're going to be fighting, especially because most fights end up on the ground like a lot do in in John Wick. And so it's great to see legit Jiu-Jitsu, what real close-quarters hand-to-hand combat would look like in real life. For example, like when he runs out of bullets and he has to get up in someone's face and take him down, that's going to be Jiu-Jitsu. They don't show that in any movies, and they, they'll show them doing great moves in this film, and you're like, oh my god, they're actually wrestling and grappling like you would do in a real fight. Yeah, and Keanu Reeves did. He says 90% of his own stunt work in the John Wick movies, so a lot of these scenes, it's actually John and Keanu doing these moves himself. Yeah, and it looks great. So the the filmmakers are very smart about this. They're not explaining what's going on, but they're using John as a surrogate for the audience by purchasing a room, by using the gold coins, by interacting with people who already know him within the Continental. So they're slowly showing us rather than telling us what the Continental is, which is great filmmaking and great writing. And then we learn that this is a hotel where... Assassin's stay which is also a safe haven where no business can be d- conducted on continental grounds and we're and while we're in this underground world we're meeting all these new characters but they all have rapport with John they all have a backstory with John so they all know what John can do and it's and yeah we saw that crazy fight in the home with the home invasion but again we still haven't seen the full picture of John Wick but they all know who he is and And it it makes the world more enticing. It brings more mystery to who John Wick actually is. It makes us want to learn more about this underground society and these new characters. And I love The Continental because it may as well be a character itself in this film because it's super important to the storyline in this film and especially when we get to the end of Chapter 2 and for Chapter 3. But also, it's so charming and it's so interesting. It has this mystique. It's almost like... Again, you, talk, you talked earlier about how this culture could be thousands of years old. We don't know. And this is like the modernized headquarters of it. And it's so fun and interesting. And the Continental is basically the safe haven for all these nefarious characters, all these assassins, all these hitmen, all these people who are in this underground world where no uh, business can be t- conducted there. It's a place to recover. It's a place to relax and have your guard down, which is rare, a rarity for people in this profession. And then the concierge, Sharon, is one of my favorite characters in the universe because he's so polite and professional and very accommodating but you you feel like this guy has this job for a reason like he could hold his own and I think he adds a lot of levity to every scene he's in a little humor and um he's a he's a refreshing part of the scenes he's in he also has like this undying loyalty to John Wick that that Winston also has so the concierge Sharon and Winston seem like they have a past, a strong past, and a great rapport with John Wick, and they haven't seen each other in a long time. But you can tell immediately that they respect each other very much. And the concierge, again, he's one of the best characters in the universe because we wait to see what he can actually do until Chapter 3 when he actually gets to bust some heads, and it's awesome. But he's again, he's very funny, polite, and kind of very necessary character to the Continental. Yeah, and then Winston is also... Um, one of the most important characters in the franchise, where so he he runs the Continental and he owns it, and like you said, he seems to have a past with John, and yes, he has he abides by the rules and the laws of the society, but he does seem to whenever he has a chance to help John out in any way he can, he seems to. Have like a, a fatherly love towards John, in a way. For example, when John Wick is first of the Continental and goes to Winston for information, but Winston's like, you know the rules, We can't give, I can't help you out because this is this is the Continental, there's no business here. But when he goes and gets his drink, the location of where Yosef is located is written on the napkin, which was provided by him from Winston. So again, Winston and the concierge Sharon have that loyalty to John, Which helps him out so many times and throughout the entire franchise. And then Willem Dafoe is also in this in a a small role, and it's nice to see Willem Dafoe shooting some guns. Yeah, Willem Dafoe, I I always forget he's in this movie because he's so awesome. Yeah, it's just fun where he's such a talented guy, and he's in so many like artistic and creative films, especially if you've seen The Lighthouse. I mean, and then to see him just as yeah, and if you just see him as a sniper in this movie as a hitman, it's just I'm sure he had a blast doing this movie. Yeah, and he ends up. We think that Vigo hires him to kill John, but then he ends up being John's protector in, in several scenes by keeping an eye on John and keeping his back clear. And, and that, This happens especially when, when that female assassin attacks John in his bedroom and they have that fight. Miss Perkins. Miss Perkins. <laughs> and then uh, Willem Dafoe shoots a bullet at John's pillow to warn him. Yeah, and so we're kind of throughout the film like, is he helping John? Is he not? That looks like it was clearly a warning shot because he could have just shot him in the face. Mm. But he's clearly helping him the whole time. And then, yeah, we had that great um, invasion fight shootout in the beginning of the film at his house. But then when he gets to the Red Circle Club, this is where we're starting to really see who John Wick actually is. For example, the, the perfect way to show it in the beginning of the sequence of events is where he goes up to the bouncer behind him and he's like... You should take the day off, but the guy recognized him, and just the the voice of John Wick terrifies this like six foot eight giant man, and he just walks away from him. Because <laughs> he calls him sir. Yeah, he calls John Wick sir. Thank you, sir. And then the way he just destroys the guy inside the bathroom and the red circle club scene. We we get this in a lot of the John Wick movies where we have this like house music, this heavy club music to coincide with this intense action. Which to me, when I watch these seasons, I'm scenes. I'm not a huge club music fan, but when I watch them in these action sequences, it really brings like extra energy to what we're seeing to all the gunfighting to all the fighting in the in the hand-to-hand combat yeah and then this is when he first uh sees yosef since the attack and yosef ends up getting away and all and john ends up killing literally all of his henchmen in the process but you can't help but you want him to kill yosef so badly because yosef is just like such a scumbag little wiry little little douchebag of a son to vigo And I don't know if there's something going on with Alfie Allen and his in his roles because he gets messed up in this movie by John eventually. And then in Game of Thrones, he went through so many, so many scenes of torture and he went through so much suffering. There's something about Alfie Allen always getting tortured and and killed in his movies. It's like his his facial expressions. He's so good at looking like he's in intense distress (laughs) and like fake crying. He's really good at it. He's a good actor. He really is. But like, you're right. What happens to him in Game of Thrones is so messed up, dude. It's so messed up. And then when the guy eats the sausage afterwards, <laughs> oh, it still like gives me chills. I can't oh, even watch that up. scene. Imagine what it's like in the book. Yeah, but then he ends up getting away. And then and so Yosef's father Vigo, I think, is a fantastic villain for the first film, played by uh, Mikael Nyquist, who's famous for being in the original Swedish version of the Dragon Tattoo series. He plays Michael Blomkiss in yeah. that. Yeah, and then he en- and then he was a villain in Mission Impossible Four. Um, he's a fantastic actor who ended up passing away only a few years ago um, from some kind of illness. But he's uh, excellent in this movie. I think he's a very foreboding guy, and he delivers his dialogue perfectly. He chews up the dialogue. Yeah, Vigo's an interesting character because throughout the film, Yes, he's trying to protect his son, but he also knows at the same time there's nothing he can do to protect his son because as he tells his son when he uh, takes his son into his arms and gives, whispers into his ear that John Wick will come for you and there's nothing you can do about it basically saying that John's going to come. He's going to kill you. And I'll try my best to protect you, but there's really nothing I can do. And you can tell through that whole scene when they're finding out what is going down. And he's telling Yosef the situation that even like their accountant's like, oh my God, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. This is John Wick that we're talking about. And so Vigo throughout the film has to struggle with, do I give up my son to save myself, which he eventually does? Do I try to protect myself only? Do I try to save my son? But again, he deals with a situation where there's nothing I can do to protect my son. I can try, but John Wick's going to get to him and there's nothing I can do. Yeah, there's that scene where um, his accountant asks how many men to send to John's house, and Vigo says how many do you have, and then this leads to John finds the location of Vigo and attacks him and his guys, but then they end up knocking him unconscious and they tie him up in that church, and um, this is where we can really see John's anguish and pain because Vigo's like, "Why are you so upset about a dog? Is it was just a dog," and then he's J- like, "We used to be professionals," yeah, and then John's like, "It wasn't just a dog," and then he explains. How much that dog meant to him and what it meant to him. It, was just, it, it meant everything in the world to him. And then when Yosef when e, when killed that dog, he took everything away from John. And now he's going to stop it. This is why he's going to stop at nothing to kill his son. This is just my, my one like loophole in the film. is Why don't they just shoot him in the face? But they put the bag over his head. It's a movie, so he, man. He's got to escape. It's and then obviously Willem saves the day. In John gets out of the situation. Does it? Which, unfortunately, leads to the end and death of Willem Dafoe's character, which is too bad because I you really like him to this point because this is where he, again, saves John Wick's life. But, again, as we talked about earlier, this is later on in the film, Vigo has to give up his son's location to save himself, which he does. Yeah, he does it. And the thing with John Wick is... Vigo tells them, they know you're coming, but John's like, and there's nothing they can do. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, he has one-liners in this, but they're great. And so he destroys them, and this is a really interesting scene because Yosef uh, is being guarded by a ton of guys, he even as snipers, but John takes everybody out and he saves Yosef for last. And you would think that through watching through the film and how much the dog meant to him and what Yosef did to him, you'd think that John would take his time with Yosef or like at least look like he... He's enjoying the moment, but John slow motion walks up to him, shoots him, then walks away just as quickly as he shoot as he shoots him. And I think it's because John Wick takes no pleasure in what he does, despite being so good at it. Yeah, and they even filmed it in a way where it was a wide shot. And by the time John shoots him, Yosef is like in the bottom corner of the frame. It's not like they they did this amazing, beautifully filmed shot um, sequence. It's just very simple because John just had to do his deed finish the job, and then move on with his life. So it was very simple. And then that leads to um, John ended, ending up killing Vigo. And then John, it, I mean, it's not like he saved the day, but he did what he had to do, um, and he got his retribution, and he ended up dismantling an entire crime family in, in, in the process. One that he helped build the foundation of yeah. with the bones he buried in his last job. And it was It's just a fantastic movie. It's so fun, very unique. And Keanu is just incredible as John Wick. I think it's a role that only he can play. Guys like Bruce Willis and um, Liam Neeson and other action guys were considered for the role, but I can't picture anyone else as John Wick. And the writer actually conceived him to be a man in his 60s. And so I think casting Keanu is the only reason why this movie works. Unfortunately, the guy ages like fine wine. This guy is 56 years old today. Are you kidding me? Look at this Damn. dude. Look at that hair. My God. Want to hear some uh, some fun facts about John Wick 1? Bro, I would love to hear some fun facts about John Wick. <laughs> well, just like in the first act of John Wick, where Yosef and his guys break into John Wick's home and um, attack him, in real life, that same year, Keanu's Reeve, Keanu Reeves' house was broken into by a stalker. Really? Who wanted to do him harm. But Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves ended up talking him down and calming him down. And then when the guy was uh, like, hanging out and and distracted, he called the police and had him arrested. That's scary. Yeah. I did not hear about that. But of course, only Keanu Reeves could do that. I have a a fun John Wick fact. Can I say it? Go for it, man. John Wick's (laughs) title... (laughs) Can I have your permission? (laughs) John Wick's title was originally titled Scorn, but was changed because of the actor, Keanu... And the only reason why it was changed is because Keanu couldn't remember the name of Scorn and kept calling the movie John Wick with filmmakers and people he was talking about it with. So the the screenwriter and director just decided to call it John Wick, and it worked out so much better. Scorn sounds too dark. It sc- sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds very I wouldn't very want to see dark. a movie called Scorn, but yeah. John Wick is perfect because it's a great metaphor, too, with the, the Wick, of lighting the Wick. Obviously, that's why they came with the name for John Wick, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's better. Johnny Depp was actually originally wanted by the filmmakers for this role, but he turned it down. I don't see Johnny Depp as being, like, a action guy in terms of, like, shooting guns. I never have. never will. He's never really done that. Yeah, I'm sure he could pull it off, but, I, I mean, I don't think it's something he's ever interested in doing. Has he ever fired a gun in a movie except for Pirates with those pistols? I'm Maybe. sure there's a movie where he's fired a gun. I just can't think of it, but when I think of it, it's not his aesthetic. I mean I obviously pirates I think he fires a musket or like a yeah, little revolver. Yeah. Yeah, Not a but, revolver. <laughs> <laughs> Those were invented. Whatever, a whatever. Pistol. Whatever. have a bottle of wine in, okay? But um yeah, I can't even honestly top of my head think of a movie where Johnny Depp has fired a gun. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. He doesn't he didn't have I don't think he can he can sell it as well as uh, Keanu can. He's too like nice looking. Yeah. yeah. Not in a bad way, it's just his MO. If the Doctor in the Continental looks familiar to you, it's because he actually played the Keymaker in Matrix Reloaded. Oh my god, you're right! Same actor, so Keanu got him cast in this. Dude, there must be buds. Yeah, so it's the same exact actor. I feel like when I saw it for the first time, I realized is it. Is that but the Keymaker? I, I didn't even notice that. Yep. Yep. This episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your comfort, obsesses over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, Manscaped's been super generous to Anthony and I. Uh, their rep Kyle sent us their performance packages, which include their luxury lawnmower groomer, as well as toners, deodorants, shirts, and boxer briefs. Get 20% off your order and free shipping today using coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost. At checkout for 20% off and free shipping. And everybody, grooming is a necessary part of life. We all got to do this. And this also shouldn't just be an exclusive ad for men. If you have a boyfriend, brothers, your father, trust me, any guy would freak out if they received something from manscaped.com. I'm telling you, this is stuff that we actually want. I swear. Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. In 2017, we got John Wick Chapter 2, which had a $40 million budget and a $171 million box office with the same writer-director from John Wick 1. Doubled the budget for this had a Rotten Tomatoes score of 89%. Having survived his path of revenge in the first film, John Wick is forced to stay in the underworld of his assassin society when his obligation to fulfill a blood pact. Is taken advantage of, followed by a $7 million bounty on his head. This film has a 89% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. John Wick 2 is everything you wanted from a sequel. It um, matches it, if not, I think it tops John Wick. Um, it's bolder, it's more violent, it's better than the original in a lot of ways, aesthetically better, um, more intense fighting scenes, more unique kills. Um, they expanded on the universe obviously of the underground society. They expanded on the cinematography in terms of larger sets and, and the, the lighting and the color schemes and everything. and it's just a phenomenal sequel to a, to a great and almost brilliant movie. Yeah, and like I said earlier, uh, I think every John Wick sequel is better than the previous installment and not because they up the ante big time with the action, but also the story I think is, is just as good as the first one. And the themes are different though. So, in the first film, it's a story about revenge and retribution. And then in the second film, it's a story about your past and and the consequences for your actions in the past. Because John Wick, at the start of this film, he's got his car back. It's getting fixed up by Ariel. But then, just as Winston warned him in the first John Wick, he said, John, if you bring so much as a pinky, if you dip so much as a pinky back into this world, Something's going to drag you back into it. And so that's a precursor for the sequel where John is dragged back into the world by a previous colleague named um, Santino. Now, Santino shows up at John's door because he needs John to carry out a mission for him. And John owes him. They made a blood oath. And what the blood oath was, was in the first film, Vigo hints at that John... He gave John an impossible task, and if John could complete this impossible task, then he could be out of the game. And then to Vigo's surprise, John accomplished his task, which was killing all of Vigo's rivals, which helped Vigo build his empire. Now, they don't tell us this in the first film, but we find out through Santino that John accomplished this with the help of Santino. And then when John came to him for help back then, Santino made him make a blood pact with him. And so the blood pact instills that you owe a debt to this person and they can ask you to repay that debt any day at any time. Yeah, and they use that really cool medallion, which is pretty cool aesthetic to see. And yeah, this film starts off, you know, you're watching John Wick trying to adapt to his his new life. He's got his new dog that he got at the end of John Wick. He's got his new little pit bull bull buddy. And um, you think it's going to be okay. But then again, like you said, once you dip a pinky in, this world is going to come back and pull you back in well so at first john rejects the offer and then in retaliation santino blows up his house and then this is where john goes back to the continental and he speaks with winston and winston tells him he tells him straight like you made this blood pact you made the oath you have to you have to uh do what he says because if you don't you're gonna get killed those are the rules the rules of the society are very strict and there are heavy consequences if you don't follow the rules. Yeah, and actually, we get to see like John Wick. He's like accepting that he has to come back into the world, and he's he does these fun things, like he's going to get that suit tailored. And he's, oh yeah, and he, it's like the thing that he's. It seems like he's done it a thousand times before, and I love when he asks um, about the inside. He's like tactical. <laughs> <laughs> Great impression, and he's getting the uh, the new weaponry from the, the summer some year, and um. And there's, like, metaphors of fine dining with it, too, because they're, they're acting like it's a fine five-course meal, the weaponry, describing it as, as, like, a main course and everything. Okay, they says enjoy your party. <laughs> <laughs> so you're finally getting to see John Wick accepting his fate because it's kind of like Beatrix Kiddo in Kill Bill. We're in Kill Bill 2 where we're learning from Bill that Beatrix is— she's a killer. That's who she is. This is who John Wick is. John Wick is a killer. There's nothing that was going to eventually stop him from coming back into this world Obviously, the death of his wife expedited it, but you can probably foresee or you can probably guess that this was going to happen at some point in his life. He was going to be dragged back into this underworld. Yeah, and it's not like it was a sequel where they just like oh why? they just came with this out of nowhere. Winston actually warns him in the first one, so it's earned. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like just like a random sequel. And before we get into it, there's a really cool tidbit that the filmmakers put in. Um, they projected footage of a Buster Keaton film on one of the buildings early in the movie. And the reason why they did the, a Buster Keaton film was because Buster Keaton, uh, the silent film star, he was the OG stuntman. Big time. The stuff he was doing in his movies was is considered it, like impossible nowadays. The, the, he was doing things that were just incredibly dangerous, just for our entertainment. And he was like the original stunt coordinator who used extensive stunt work in his movies. I love Buster Keaton. That guy broke his neck while filming and didn't even know about it for like two months later when he went to a doctor. Yeah. So because that, he's that amazing. He was like the original stuntman. Yeah, if you guys have never heard of him or you're not into silent film, go check out Buster Keaton. He is the original OG, like you said, stuntman There's in no Hollywood. There's c- no CGI in those movies. Dude, <laughs> He's put himself in danger he was, big time. He's doing crazy shit. And so they were nodding to the fact that He's, like, the original stuntman. Yeah, and so John Wick Chapter 2, we also get some new characters besides uh, Santino. The first new, like, character and actor we get is Ruby Rose plays Ares, who is a mute assassin or hitman, and even though she doesn't have a single line of dialogue throughout the film, she, you know, she has this great presence on camera. Um, She demonstrates, like, fantastic fighting skills with Keanu, especially that scene in the Hall of Mirrors where them two have a... They finally get to fight, and, you know... She holds her own against Keanu. She does a great job on camera. She's a total badass in this film, and I really, I really like Ruby Rose's performance in this movie. Yeah, and she's she's Santino's main bodyguard. She's like his number one. And you're curious why, how, how she earned that title. And then when she ends up fighting John Wick, um, she's so adept in at fighting that um, John Wick doesn't kill her in this scene. He they end up uh, separating, and she gets away. And then we also get Cassian, who's played by Common who's this is my favorite common role. He's a good actor, but um this is like the best I've seen common do. He's a total badass in this movie. He's more similar to to um like John Wick in their style of fighting, whereas like um Ruby Rose's character Aries is kinda like just like Full energy, like nonstop. Like as soon as like you let her loose, she's like a dog going after somebody, like unhinged. But then like Cassius is like more controlled and brutal, kind of the way and style that that John Wick fights. And so they have some great interactions in this film. Like they have a great fight scene on the subway. And I think this is also the only person that John would let survive. And also, they have that the hilarious like gun battle in the mall where they're just like secretly shooting silenced pistols yeah, yeah. at each other yeah. without anyone seeing what's going on. Yeah. But they have an, an incredible fight sequence that goes through the streets of Rome. And I think that Cassian is the first time that John we've seen John encounter someone who's just as talented as he is at killing, because Cassian seems to be um, John's equal and match in in fighting and killing. And he he. He seems to be getting the edge of John at times as well. And it's a great sequence and they end up like falling they fight down that crazy staircase in, in Rome. But then the fight scene is incredible and then it it ends inside the Continental hotel where they crash land through the window inside the Continental in Rome. And then they're they, they have to literally stop their fight. And they mid, have a drink together. Yeah, and then they <laughs> they get a drink at the bar together. Or next to each other. Yeah, which is so fun because Um, we learn that Cassian, who was the bodyguard of Gianna, who's Santino's sister, and Santino, his task for John was to kill Gianna so that he could um, take over her seat on the High Council within the society. And so that's what he's asking him to do as part of the blood oath. And so after John did kill Gianna, Cassian saw John and recognized him and was like, oh, you just killed uh, the person I'm hired to protect. He took it very personally and emotionally. He was very close with her. And so Now he has a vendetta against John just to kill him for revenge. Yeah, I expected Common to come back in uh, Chapter 3, Parabellum, but I'm sure they're saving him for like 4 and 5 because, you know, they've just finished filming 4, I think. And they didn't show him die. Yeah, again, they didn't show him die. They just show him on the subway after he got stabbed, and he's just pissed off and, like, he seemed immobile at the time. And the reason—so John Wick actually stabbed Ares in exactly the same spot when he ended up killing Ares— but because he didn't respect her, um, he took the knife out and let her bleed out. And that's when she signed, like, be seeing you, John. But with Cassian, since Cassian shows has showed him respect in the past, um, he ends up leaving the knife in Cassian's chest as a way to spare him out of respect. And so, like you said, he's probably going to show up in a sequel. I hope he does because he's a great character in this world. But I think the best character in this movie and maybe maybe like besides John the best character in the entire franchise shows up in in chapter 2 and that's Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King and this is like the reunion of Morpheus and Neo but just on different terms because you know Lawrence Fishburne plays like this very eccentric and powerful man despite being like the leader of like this homeless army of these assassins in the in the underworld society and it's really great to see these two on camera because they they carry this this rapport and familiarity on camera, on screen in this film that only actors and, and people who have known each other for years and who have worked together for years have. And you, it clearly shows up. Their chemistry is absurdly good on this film, just like it is in the Matrix movies. When they shared their first scene together, I was just giddy with excitement and joy. Just seeing them back on screen together was so much fun. And Lawrence Fishburne's character, the the Bowery King, he actually wasn't originally conceived for the film. What happened was, um, there's he and Keanu are still very close friends, and they had dinner together one night. And Fishburne told him how much he loved John Wick, and he's like, "Get me a role in the next one. I want to be in it. <laughs> like, I want to be part of this part of this franchise." And then, so Keanu talked with the writers and producers, and they figured they crafted this character, the Bowery King, just for Fishburne even extends the universe down another layer because, like, the society is kind of underground, but then he's in charge of the society underneath that society. He's, like, the king of the underground of the underground. So the, the layers of this society just keep growing with each film. Yeah, so we're seeing multiple hierarchies in this. The thing with the Bowery King is you don't really know, is he, like, a good guy? Is he a villain? Is he on John's side? Is he not on John's side? But you kind of just like going with it as an audience member because, again, he's so fun to watch on camera. And he seems to, throughout the second film, to be on John's side. But obviously that changes a little bit in chapter, in uh, number three, Parabellum, which we'll get into in a little bit. But Lawrence Fishburne's presence is commanding. That laugh of his is just so loud. It's like, <laughs> it's like as loud as the gunshots in this movie and it's infectious. And he's just so good on camera. He's great. One of my favorite parts about this film is that the filmmakers and writers took the scope of John Wick and made it international. And we discover that cities all over the world have their own continental hotels because the expansiveness of the society is global, which I I thought was a fantastic take on it and a way to not just make the sequel bigger, but to expand on it in scope. And then there's some great shooting scenes in this film. The catacombs shootout was awesome just to be in those Roman catacombs. It's a great action scene. The Hall of Mirrors fight is awesome. The Cassian fights are awesome, especially the one on the actual subway. And so they really not just up, they upped the ante on the fights physically, but also the sets and environments are massive in this. Whereas the first fight, the first film, the fights were in John's house. They were out on the street. They weren't really in these crazy sets and locations, but in this film, they had more money. And so they're able to make... The, the visuals of the, of the movie even better. And they set it up perfectly for a third film where John has completed his task for Santino, but Santino puts this hit on John's head to make it seem like Santino didn't order him to kill his sister. And so once John finds out about this hit, he goes to the Continental and finds Santino there. And obviously, he wants to kill Santino, and Santino is basically goading him and talking about how he's never going to leave the Continental, and he can never touch him, but this sets John Wick off, and John Wick breaks rules of the Continental, where you're not allowed to do business on the Continental property, you're not allowed to kill anybody, you're not allowed to do anything, and he shoots Santino in the face, breaking Continental rules, which makes him excommunicado, forcing him to lose his membership, basically, to the secret society, losing the benefits of the Continental, the safe haven that it provides all these assassins and hitmen, and sets up the sequel of Parabellum. And this bounty of $14 million has been put on John's head, and it's that great ending where Winston gives him a little bit of a head start. He gives him, like, an hour to run away, and then John just, like, starts hoofing it on foot through New York. And then once Winston calls in the job, the contract, you can see... Uh, assassins throughout new york getting their phone alert and they're looking at their phone and they see john like running past them so we're beginning to see that there's a lot of assassins out there in the city yeah and we're also seeing that like they're taking the one man woman one woman army to a new level because now you have an army of assassins after john wick Which leads us to John Wick 3, Parabellum, which came out in 2019. This film had a $75 million budget with a box office of $326 million. Rotten Tomatoes score of 89%. Having broken the rules of the Continental at the end of Chapter 2, John Wick has been excommunicated from the Secret Society of Assassins and Hitmen. And a $14 million bounty has been placed on his head, making him the target of every hitman and hitwoman in the entire world. And they wasted no time with this. I think this sequel s- takes place like just a few minutes after the second one ends. Yeah, it picks up like while he's running away and walking away. Yeah, right, and then when chapter two left off. It starts fast. Yeah, and so John ends up having. There's a great action sequence where he's escaping um, various assassins who have found his location, and it leads to that great scene where. John Wick's just riding a horse through New York City, uh, outrunning a bunch of assassins. And he even kills three guys with his horse. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite uh, scenes in the opening of this film is obviously he's being chased everywhere he goes. Everyone knows what he looks like. They all got the notification on their phone. As soon as they see John Wick, they're going to try to kill him and get a piece of that $14 million. And um, he's eventually just being chased constantly throughout the throughout New York City. And um, there's a great scene where he's like running up this building from a group of dudes and they pay homage to the good, the bad, and the ugly when John is like in this like antique like warehouse and he disassembles a revolver and he puts it back together with different parts of other revolvers. Obviously, I don't know if it's like accurate to what could happen in real life, but this scene exactly takes place in the good and bad and the ugly, basically, where um the ugly disassembles and puts a revolver back together, and it's a great homage, and then we have this incredible knife scene. Right here. Obviously, all these knives are CGI, but yeah. you can tell they came a long way in the CGI with the budget in these films, because obviously in John Wick, there's a there's some CGI, and probably the worst shot you'll see in that movie of CGI is the dead dog when he wakes up next to it and he puts his hand on it. It's clearly a pretty bad <laughs> CGI dog. Twenty million dollar budget. Yeah, again, small budget, and you can still afford Keanu Reeves. But again, parabellum, we have this intense knife fight. No real knives were used. I really. think they were using handles. I don't and know then, if, and don't, then CGI in the blades I, in. That's my guess. Maybe they're using handles. I don't yeah. think they were at all. But either way, all the knives, like every knife they throw, they're all CGI and yeah. it does an amazing job. And it's again very unique, cool fight scene. You haven't seen anything like it before. And that's an, that's I think the biggest difference between the action and this one and the previous two. John doesn't really use knives at all in the first two. I think he kills like two people with knives. But in this film, I think he kills over 30 people with a combination of knives and swords. And it's just great to see John not using guns but using blades. And just seeing him with the sword is just a a great visual. And it's so much fun. That knife fight is fantastic because there's actual... Like, you see knife fights in movies, and if you know anything about fighting, it's extremely unrealistic. Like, that's not how you would fight. That's not how you would defend yourself with a knife. But in this film... Obviously, with the uh, attention to detail, with the wrestling and, def- and, and fighting in this, in choreography in this, the f- knife fights are extremely accurate to how people would attack and defend themselves with if they had a knife or if they were fighting someone who had a knife on them. And then just seeing these guys just, like, throw knife after knife at each other, and then there's that scene where that moment where John like throws like four knives in the one guy's chest. And it's like, Oh my. I remember we were in theaters and we were like screaming with joy and, and like excitement. Like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, he, they're just surrounded by all these yeah. old knives. I, that, like we were like, uh, like shouting out loud with enjoyment when we watched this movie. And basically the plot of this film is John Wick plans to go to Morocco to track down the secretive leader of the high table. And so this underground society, it has a hierarchical structure and the high table is basically the, it's kind of like the mafia or the mob where they're, they're like the leaders of their family or their syndicates. And they're, they're basically the, the, the managers of the society. Like I said, the themes were different in the first two. And the theme is also different in this film. Whereas the first movie was about revenge. The second one was about um, the past and consequences. And then the third film is about identity. And in this film, John struggles with his identity. Because he wants to be just John, just a normal guy, but he has to be John Wick in order to get out of the society. So it's an ironic setup where in order to get out, he has to be John Wick, this killer, to make it happen. And so he's struggling with these two sides to his character, the part of him that just wants to be a normal guy, and the part of him that is this killer. And in terms of identity, in Parabellum, we get to learn a lot more about John Wick's past and like... Where he got his training, where he became assass- an assassin, how he developed these skills, and we learn this because he needs to escape the city, he needs to escape the country to get rid to get away from the majority of the- these assassins and hitmen who seem to be in America or in New York City or in these major cities. And so he goes to basically what it seems like a- like a training orphanage kind of situation run by Angelica Houston. Uh, who's terrific in this film? She's the director. Yeah, so she's like the director of this this training program or this orphanage. And this is uh a- this is actually called the Ruska Roma, and they are a society of Romanians um, who grew- who uh, lived in the Soviet Union. And in this world, in this universe, they uh, adopted John when he was very young, and they trained him in ballet and the art of killing from a young age. That's why. He's not just a great killer, but he's so great with his movements because he trained as a dancer as well. Yeah, and so the women are being trained in ballet, and then they have shots of the men and the boys are being trained in jiu-jitsu. And you get to see, again, jiu-jitsu is such an important part of the John Wick franchise because this is realistic fighting. This is what would be going on. Like, if you're a great fighter, hand-to-hand combat, jiu-jitsu is it. And we also learn that John Wick's name is actually Jardani Jovanovich. There's actually a graphic novel which details that John grew up in Mexico as an orphan and a thief, and then he was adopted by this uh, Rom- Romanian-Soviet Union group. And so once John escapes America and escapes New York City, he contacts a past, again, assassin colleague who owes him a blood debt. So instead of where Santino John Santino, a blood pact. He is owed a blood pact from Sofia, who's played by the amazingly talented Halle Berry, who was a one-time killer. Who now she runs the Morocco branch of of the Continental Hotel. Yeah, and it was great because there's so many cities in in films internationally that like are t- very popular. Like he could have gone to France, he could have gone anywhere in Europe, um, he could have gone anywhere in the Middle East, but. Uh, I thought it was really unique to send him to Casablanca in this film. And they did it actually as inspiration from the film Casablanca. That's why the filmmakers chose this location. But I thought it was a a really fun place to set this film. Yeah, just like Mission Impossible 5. Isn't that uh, Morocco? Yeah, it is Morocco, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, um, amazing place. I would love to go there someday. Yeah. But, yeah, so many great films have been shot and filmed in Casablanca. And then Sophia is one of my favorite characters in the franchise. She might be my favorite behind John. And she obviously has a past with John where John, through their blood pact, helped get her daughter out, from, out of harm's way because she was never able to leave her life behind. And so... He John got her daughter out of, the, out of the society so that she could just live a normal life. And that's why Sophia owes him a debt. But she's a great character, and she's pretty much the boss around here. And the, the most memorable part about this film, I think, is the pair of dogs that she has. Yeah, like, it's so badass to see this, like, these highly trained dogs that are her children, basically. And you can obviously see they fill the void of her not being able to see her daughter. And the way that uh, she reacts when the other uh, leader shoots one of the dogs. And um, how she basically treats it like shooting her own son or her own daughter. But the, the fight scenes with John, so- Sophia, and these dogs are absurd. The shootouts at, in this film are crazy. Some of the craziest stuff you'll ever see. I think, it's, I think it might be the most impressive fight sequence in all the John Wick films. Because of the fact that you not only have... Halle Berry and Keanu Reeves with all the stuntmen and women, but you have two dogs who are perfectly choreographed within the action hitting every beat and every mark perfectly. I think it is more complex than it looks on screen. You know what I mean? I think it is a a real testament to the filmmakers that they pulled something like this off. You've never seen dogs work within an action scene like this before. And Halle Berry actually trained for six months And she learned how to train dogs. And so these dogs actually were so loyal to her by the time they filmed that they, the trainer, the original trainer of the dogs said that they now look at Halle Berry as their trainer now. So back in America, the Continental, while this is going on, while John's trying to locate the High Table's leader, um, the High Table has sent an adjudicator who's played by Asia Kate Dillon. And she arrives in New York to kind of basically get things back in order at the Continental she's also enforcing punishments on Winston and the Bowery King for helping John in the past obviously Winston and Bowery King are trying to play it cool at the same time but we're also getting this new expansion of the high table in the society where there is actually there are consequences to actions there is like some f- some form of policing or uh, court system in the society. And then the adjudicator actually ends up hiring the main villain of this film, Zero, who ends up being, like Cassian in the first film, an equal to John. And he's played by Mark DeCassis, who, if you've ever seen Iron Chef America, he, is, he was the host of Iron Chef. And today's secret ingredient is... Pig's Feet. (laughs) (laughs) Great great show when we were kids. He was also, for any of the uh, older listeners, he was uh, one of the leads in Double Dragon, the greatest kids action martial arts movie ever made. Played Billy. Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy, Jimmy, Lee. Jimmy Lee. Um, And he's a great character in this because Zero, yes, he's another assassin, and he's just as good as John is, but he's very funny. He's very childlike at times, and he seems to be like... A massive fan of John. Yeah, he's like, like very quirky, but obsessed. He's like a yeah. fanatic. Like when they first have their first interaction and fight, they end up at the Continental, and then John sits down on the couch, and then Zero sits down on the couch, literally touching. He's so close to him, they're touching, and then John gets up and sits in the armchair, and then Zero tells him how big of a fan he is, and that <laughs> and that he was he wanted he was curious how good a, at fighting and killing John would be, and that he didn't disappoint him. So Zero is a, I think he's a. Like, all these assassins, like, they're killers, but I think Zero is an actual sociopath, psychopathic killer. Yeah, it's just super interesting to have this person who admires the person that he's about to kill or he ha- he's been ordered to kill. Yeah, it's, it's, a f- it's such a weird way. Yeah, and he, he's uh, very funny in this movie. So the adjudicator hires Zero to dole, to dole out the punishments of the council, so they slice up the Bowery King with seven slices and they kill all of his henchmen. And then Zero goes to the opera house where he and his men kill all of Angelica Houston's character's henchmen. And then he slices uh, the sword through her hands. And then what's actually really cool, going back to the theme of the film of identity and John trying to figure out which John he is, the ballet that the, the Russian dancers are performing is called The Tale of Two Wolves. And this story is about... A grandfather who tells his son that every person has two wolves battling within them there's the evil wolf and there's the good wolf and the grandson asks which one wins and the grandfather tells him the one that you feed and so this is actually the exact dilemma that John's dealing with internally where he wants to be the good wolf but he can't help from feeding the evil wolf because again John Wick is a killer Yeah, that's what he is, that's what he's been trained to be So John and Sophia succeed in their mission of getting him to the leader or his mission to find the leader of the high table where he does find the leader in the middle of the desert. And this is where John has to give up a sacrifice to show his allegiance to the high table to forgive his misdeeds of breaking rules at the Continental by cutting off the finger which holds his ring from his marriage which he still wears. And this is especially significant to the leader of the high table because he understands that John Wick's wife died and that this ring and the act of cutting off this finger means John has to give up really this physical memory, this last heirloom of his wife, of his memory of that past to the high table, to the leader of the high table, which ends up leading to him forgiving John Wick of his past deeds. As long as he kills Winston. And so I think this is John deciding which John he wants to be. He's going to be John Wick from now on. That's right. That's what I get from the scene. Which is exactly what I want. I want him to oh, yeah. be John do Oh, yeah. I don't want boring John. I want John Wick. I want John Wick just going out and <laughs> killing people. Let's do it. And then this leads to the penultimate scene where John and Winston are talking and the adjudicator wants John to kill Winston. And he refuses, and then Winston refuses to give up the Continental, and the adjudicator's like, "What the fuck, guys? Come on!" <laughs> Basically, you, she's kind of a yeah. she's kind of mean in this movie, but you also she's just trying to do her job. Yeah, she's doing her job. She's trying to get her job done. Yeah. And so then she sends in the council's army, which invade the the, whole, the hotel, and then we get probably the best shootout of all the John Wicks, which is John and the employees of the Continental, including um, concierge Sharon. Yeah, uh, Sharon finally getting his hands dirty yeah. and it's a great shootout and they actually lit it with green lights as a reference and nod to the Matrix movies and also another nod to the Matrix movies when um Winston asks what John needs he says guns, guns lots, lots of guns, guns. <laughs> <laughs> obviously if you've seen the Matrix you know what you're talking about That's so he fantastic. asks for when he's in the program when he's, when he's about to go uh, save Morpheus and it's a cool shootout because all the the SWAT guys they have so much armor on that gunshots aren't working uh, and piercing their their bodies and so John has to kill them all with, like, strictly headshots through their masks. And the uh, shotgun with armor-piercing rounds. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think is accurate in terms of, like, the armor-piercing rounds. I think shotgun's already pierced armor, but... Yeah. I mean, it's still pretty cool. It's a cool line to say, like, here is a shotgun with armor-piercing rounds. What, he That shotgun fucks people up. It's great. <laughs> it's just intense. It's, again, one-man, one-woman army. Uh, Constantine and Sharon is really badass in this sequence because, again... You've always wanted to see him. You see, He's in this world. Everyone in this underworld seems to be able to handle themselves really well. And we finally get to see him helping John out. He's not as, obviously as as talented of a killer as John Wick, but he holds his own pretty well. But this is just the first of three sequences. This This finale is just epic. The third act. And then we get John up against the two guys from the raid. They're in that amazing set, that glass LED lit set. Which is uh, reminiscent of Skyfall. And watching John go up against these two seasoned veteran stuntmen actors is just such a fun fight. So The Raid and The Raid 2. If you guys have ever seen these movies, I highly recommend them. Some of the best martial arts fighting. Great shootouts, but still. The hand-to-hand combat in these movies are amazing. And the two villains that uh, John fights at the end are martial arts in The Raid and villains in The Raid and it's a fantastic fight and these guys seem to have like a respect and love for John Wick because he's putting up such a good fight where they they even get the better of him a couple of times but they spare him and allow him to get up and gather himself. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And so when he ends up defeating both of them, he ends up sparing them because they spared him. And it's, and then that leads to Zero shows up and it's a fantastic fight between he and him and Zero. And both of these fight scenes to me they do seem a little long, kind of like the the shootout with Sophia seems a little long. But again, you gotta you gotta remember who's making these movies. A couple of stunt guys are yeah. making these movies, and you know what? This is what they love to do. This is paying homage to all the stunt men, and the stunt women who have gotten no credit from in Hollywood from all the hard work that they've gotten and put into all these films that they get no credit for uh, publicly. I think for these directors and these writers, it's like. We want to show what we're capable of. We want to show what our talents are and how important we are to to Hollywood and in film. And you you know what? They're they're a little long, but you just accept it. And you know what? John Wick looks a little old sometimes against these these incredible athletic martial artists, but it's freaking great and it's so fun to watch. But I would say Keanu's six two, and those those Indonesian guys are five nothing. So I mean, it's I, I, it's pretty believable that he could take them on. I, I'd be a good fight in real life too. Yeah. I'm sure. Maybe not. Those guys are pretty expert at what they do. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably fuck Keanu up. But I mean, maybe, yeah. But it's still it. You, it's it is what it is. I love it. Yeah. And then John ends up killing Zero. Um, it's pretty funny the way he. The, what does he say when he's dying? I can't remember. Oh, I can get it. He's quick. like, it was a pretty good fight though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. And then this leads to the adjudicator convincing Winston to shoot John. In order it, to let him keep the hotel. To keep the hotel and sit and spare his life. And, the, and then Winston shoots John several times. And then John falls off the top of the building and lands in uh, the alleyway. And, and they think he's dead. Yeah, they actually shot this with a some person on a blue screen. And obviously they would never let Keanu do this, but they did a fantastic job uh incorporating this into uh an alleyway CGI in, in setting and it looks it looks very real the way it happens. Yeah, it's me- these stunt people are crazy. And of course they go to check on the body and it's not there. Dun, dun, dun. Where is he though? The Bowery King's guys grab him and brought him down into the underground and there's that great ending where uh, the Bowery King asks John, Are you pissed off, John? And then John just looks at him with his bloody face and he goes, Yeah. Yeah. And again pain. They show John Wick going through so much. He's literally on the verge of death. He just fell like five stories in an alleyway, off a ladder, onto a dumpster, and you know what? He's hungry for more revenge, and I can't wait to see what happens. I don't know if they're going to have him go after the high table, have him go after everybody. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm really excited for the next two. I think that John and the Bowery King are going to build like a little army, and they're going to go after the high council and And like the society. And you can bet your ass there's going to be some other A-list actors in this. I mean, they got Halle Berry for this one, so and Commons great. And, I think they'll both show up. So you can imagine that they're going to get some some high-end, big-name actors for four and five. I can't wait, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Oh, just a fun fact. There's a great action sequence, the uh, motorcycle fight in this film, where John is uh, swarmed by bad guys on motorcycles, and they pull out swords, and then there's this this sword fight while they're riding, and it looks fantastic, but it was actually all shot on a green screen and they weren't actually moving. They were just on static bikes and then they digitally put the moving background in behind them, but it looks really cool. They blended it together really well. It's just like quit itch, mate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That wraps our episode on John wick episode 31 of Raiders of the lost podcast. We'll be back with our next two episodes back on the horror scheme. We just wanted to give you guys a little break and in case you're getting worn down by the horror stuff. So this is a little fun, little segue, but we'll be back soon. We're going to do slasher films, probably the last last episode of the month, and we got some modern horror like Midsommar that we want to touch on. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts you can find us. Share us with your movie friends. Become a patron on Patreon at Raise of the Lost Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thanks for listening.